0: Believe it or not, um, after moving to Branson about six years ago now, I am still being asked on a fairly regular basis, now that you are retired, uh, what is your daily life like? I mean, what do you do with your time? Well, I can tell them, you know, I teach two Bible classes, one on Tuesday and one on Friday, and I go to another one on Wednesday, and sometimes I substitute for Jeff over Friendly Baptist. Yes, yeah, so I've got plenty of stuff to do, but I sometimes have to go back and say, you know, while I initially did retire from pastoring a church, we are at St. Mark's in Mineral Wells, Texas. We did that for two and a half years, helping a small congregation kind of get back on its feet. Uh, I did not really ever intend to retire from ministry. There's a big difference between being a pastor and being part of ministry. After all, here I am pastoring a missional community called Restore. And If you, if you think about praying, pray tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Actually, I, you can pray for me starting at 7, because from 7 to 8, I'll be teaching Mark chapter 9 at First Baptist Church here in Branson. And at 9, I'll be out at... Forsyth speaking to uh about sixteen pastors who represent much of our denomination who want to hear about Restore and what missional communities are really all about. But I've decided that from now on, if people ask me what am I doing in my retirement years, I came up with something that I could have said ever since I've been working. And you know, what's your daily life like these days? So my response is simply this. For as long as possible, for as long as God gives me breath, my everyday life is going to be being an everyday disciple. There's my answer. This is also, of course, the title of today's message. And I believe that God's word tells us very clearly that this should be the goal for each and every one of us. If you count yourself as a Christ follower, you ought to be able to say this too. Every day, you're an everyday disciple. Anyone who identifies as Christ, if you're justified by grace through faith, an everyday life of an everyday disciple. So in Luke 10 today, we're going to explore that job title a little bit better, and we're going to see Jesus sending 72 disciples out all of a sudden, 72 evangelists. Now some uh, some parts of the Bible said he only sent out 70. Uh, but he said, I'm going to go out. I want you guys to go out. And I want you to do what John the Baptist did. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now I'm going to kind of shove this aside a little bit because, you know, Jeff is sitting there already. You know, well, 70 or 72. That's to all different places in the Bible. Well, it is. Uh, but so manuscript uh, translations differ over whether Jesus actually sent out 70 or 72, which is what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse one. Some say Well, the number 70 alludes to the number of Israelites that were sent to Egypt during the days of Joseph. And that's back in Genesis chapter 46. And a number of other people say, well, no, it's the number of nations when they numbered the nations at the Tower of Babel. You remember all that stuff way back in Genesis 10 or 11? And some people say, well, the 70 nations, some of those nations had like two part names. And so the number really ought to be 72. Now to that I say, yeah, so uh, all we can say is that the ancient Israelites used that number 70 or 72 as a rather interesting symbolic effect. So we can kind of slide that back aside. At any rate, we're going to get a taste of that everyday life of discipleship uh, from Jesus' point of view today. And in doing so, I want us to also just to note that Jesus tells his disciples and us as well, And I think the next screen will identify three things. We are to pray, we are to do, and we are to rejoice. Now, can you handle that every day? To pray, to do, and rejoice? Now, some of you say, well, I can't rejoice because I haven't rejoiced yet. Well, start joicing and then start rejoicing tomorrow morning. So we're going to start here by considering a disciple's prayer. In Luke chapter 10 verse 2, Jesus says to His disciples, those initial 12, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, therefore pray how? Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now, most of the times, if you've ever heard this Bible passage before, and I've heard it lots of times growing up, but when you hear these words, we picture praying that the Lord of the harvest will send out more professional church workers. That, God, we need more pastors. We were talking about that before the service. We have some churches around here that need pastors, and there just aren't enough pastors out there. Or can't we at least send a great Bible teacher out there? Or can't we find a missionary who's home on furlough from, you know, Tibet or wherever? But God forbid that he sends us out. That's the way many people look at this passage, yeah. Here I am, Lord, send them, send them. But he's not going to send out ordinary folks. Or is he? Well, yeah, he is. You know, if you think it's only professional church workers, you've got another thing coming. Now, we're going to see how the divine lo- with divine logic and all this. Jesus tells the 70 or 72, whatever number you want here, uh, these newly appointed evangelists to go on ahead and he tells them specifically some things to do. He says to heal the sick, preach the gospel, pray, pray, that's the accent, that the Lord would send even more workers. And guess who that includes? Well, everybody from David all the way over to Anthony. It includes all of us. It includes all of us. Now, you think about it, there's no time limitation. Jesus said, uh, do this in the next week or so and then be done with it. Fields are ripe with a bumper crop. That's so true in our country today. The time to harvest, I don't want to be fatalistic about this, but I've heard people say the time to harvest is now or never. Well, I don't want to go quite that far, because I don't know when the never is going to be, but the time is now, and we do it until, you know, the clouds part, the horns blow, the angels come, and we all go home to heaven for the rest of our life. See, crops are only good for so long and then they rot or they fall off the vine. Well, second thing we have here is this whole issue of work. And the word translated labor, send laborers, that, that Greek word labor is also the same word where we get the word agriculture. Interesting. Send people who are good at crop building, crop planting, harvesting, all this kind of stuff. So this is the hard work of the farmer who uh, plows, he sows, and he cultivates and it's only after all of those three things are accomplished that he can kind of sit back on his front porch and enjoy the harvest. So in the labor of the disciple, again, I'm talking to from Anthony and David here, including myself in here today, there's a lot of hard work to pray earnestly, to labor in prayer, to work hard at praying. The question is, do you Work hard in prayer. Is that part of your everyday life as an everyday disciple? See, note again, he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what this everyday disciple should be praying about. He says, therefore, do what? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest. Now, could it be that often we pray for the wrong things? And please understand, it's not wrong to pray for the lost people around us. I mean, we know that there are, what, 1,358 housing units scattered around us. We are right in the dead center of this one, one square mile area. Uh, there are people out there that certainly are lost. They're, they're, they're broken out there. It's not wrong for us to pray for these people or that God would save our own family members or our own friends. But here he doesn't say pray for the harvest. Isn't that interesting? doesn't say pray for the harvest. He doesn't even say pray for the lost. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for additional workers. Pray that he would raise up disciples who were faithful witnesses wherever they happened to be. Pray for the laborers who are already doing the work of evangelizing and disciple making. But notice also that this prayer is most effectively pray, prayed by someone who's already a disciple. It'd be like if he was talking to you today, folks, restore people, disciples, pray to send more laborers out, even as you labor. Uh, people are involved in the gospel work, and, and the harvest around is ripe. There's work to be done. My grandpa uh, was a farmer. I was raised by my grandparents, although I, I grew up in, in this big city of 3,000 people after the tornado destroyed his farm out in Staplehurst, Nebraska. But uh, we'd go out to that farm every once in a while. My grandpa would rent it out, and I'd kind of watch in amazement watching guys farm. Some of you have probably seen that, too, but I want you to picture this for a moment. Picture a farmer with a 1950s tractor, maybe an old John Deere or an Alice Chalmers or something like that. And he's about ready to get up when the sun comes up to go out and plow a 5,000-acre farm. So he gets up, starts the old tractor, and he begins plowing. And he works until the sun sets and it's dark, and he realizes that he has come nowhere close to plowing that 5,000-acre farm. And his discouragement points to the fact that he needs more help. I mean, a lot of farmers hired what? Hired hands. We go out and we find more people to help with the harvest. His aching muscles tell him, I need more help. Uh, His old tractor that's wheezing and about ready to die says, you need more than just me, buddy. And see, here's the other issue. Jesus tells those laborers to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest. And only those that are laborers or workers uh, in God's field can really understand the need for it. I feel the need for it as just as a pastor, because I see in my, the old, my own denomination that I've grown up in where we don't have nearly enough pastors to be discipling disciple-makers into the mission field. Uh church that Jeff takes care of on a Wednesday night that I occasionally help out on a Wednesday night, they can't find a pastor anywhere, it seems like. And, you know, we need to pray for these words. Sure, do we need to pray for more pastors? Yes. But what we really need are just more laborers in the vineyard. More people are just out there doing what God's called them to do. And one of my favorite missionaries from back in the 1800s. His name was William Carey. And the reason I liked him, I read a lot about him the first time I went to India. Uh, he was a missionary to India in the 1800s. But when he felt the call of God to actually be a minister or to be a missionary, he went to his own uh, denominational group of people and asked them to help him to go to India to do mission work. This is the written statement he got back from his own denomination. Son, if God wants the heathen saved, he'll save them without your help. Yikes. Well, thank God that William Carey decided he'd just go anywhere and he suffered for a long time, but he did it himself. And he planted Christianity, kind of followed up with where Thomas, who eventually a lot of people say ended up in India. See, these people who told William Carey that were dead wrong, just like people, I want to say, who question why I work in prison. Why do you go down there and waste your time on those people? All those people down there, that's the largest maximum security prison in America. You know, all these people sentenced to life sentences. Why waste your time on these guys? Lock them up, throw away the key. Why do you go to India? Why do you go to Kazakhstan? Why do you go to Thailand? Why do you go to Haiti? I just saw a Facebook memory the other day going down the river on a, on a, on, in the Amazon River. Why am I going to Borba? Well, because God needs laborers out in the field where the harvest is ripe. See, we just don't understand sometimes the everyday life of an everyday disciple. So God does the saving. There's no doubt about it. It's not us. Uh, I've been around some people. And they, I had a guy ask me one time, how many salvations are you responsible for? And I said, uh, zero. He goes, well, I've had a lot of salvations in my church. I said, yeah, but you didn't do it. He says, yeah, oh, yeah. And he went, Mike, what What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I think it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know guys who carve notches on their Bible for every salvation they have. Well, I don't know enough about that. I'm going to pick on these people. But God does the saving. We don't. We, we we get out we may we may take some rocks out of people's fields, we may plow through some people's fields, we may sow seed in some people's fields, but when the harvest comes, it's the Holy Spirit who does it. Just that simple. But He does do the sending. God will save heathen people. And He saves them as we do what? Go and tell and pray. And if is what I have taken to call kind of the purpose of the church. And people have asked me different times, what is the purpose of the church? And I say, well, it's to gather, to grow, to give, and to go. That's a kind of a catchy little phrase. Uh, it's in these verses like this one that we see God's supernatural work of calling people to share the gospel, to pray the prayers that he desires to answer even before we pray them. See, it's God. it's God's will to send out more workers. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And he's he's chosen to work through the prayers of the workers that are out there already. So if more workers are actually sent, it's because we prayed for them and God answered them. But, I'm going to throw a button in here, that in no way does this make us the first cause of God doing something. He's placed in our hearts to pray for these people. And we want to pray this morning that God send out more laborers. You know, maybe even to bring more laborers into this place so we can send out more from this place. Well we're going to send out more. What do you, And that's what praying in Jesus' name is all about. So it's going to make it a, a part of your everyday prayer for God to send out everyday laborers into his harvest field. And don't forget when you're praying for more laborers into the harvest field, don't forget to put your name in that list. You're part of this too. It's not, here I am, send Lou. <laughs> no, we're going, to, we're going to go together. Okay, let's go to the second part, and this is consider a disciple's task. In chapter 3, I mean, at this time I'd be ready to sign up, but we get to chapter 10, verse 3. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as, what? Lambs in the midst of wolves. See, what we have here is a prelude to the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, you know, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or one I really like in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And I I don't remember when I found out that the word for witness in Greek is martyrio, where we get the word martyr. Uh, Hold it. I don't mind being a witness. I didn't sign up for the martyr part here. But you may end up being a martyr. See, Jesus is calling for the nations to hear and respond to the gospel. And the task of an everyday disciple is praying and going and telling. It's kind of a sidebar. We have a lot of people immigrating into this country. I have an interesting theory about this. I sometimes think that if we don't go to them, God will send them to us. And we have a great opportunity in some fields that are, we can argue all the politics behind it, but sometimes they might be here so that we have the opportunity to bring Jesus to them. See, we're commanded to proclaim the same message that he did, to be everyday laborers in God's kingdom. And when we pray, we pray, God often uses us to answer that prayer. How have you ever found that out? You were praying for someone that somehow, way, this person would come to know Jesus. And you finally figured out that that person you were praying for was you. God was answering your own prayer. So here the disciples are called to pray for workers. And then immediately God tells them, Jesus sends them out. So as they're going, they continue to pray for additional workers. They keep on praying. They keep on going. But he hands us a warning. There's a little warning. he so says there's going to be a mixed response to your message. There may be at times even a little bit danger in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, and understand that Jesus says everyone you tell is not going to uh, listen to you. Not everybody is going to appreciate your words. He said, that's okay, you keep going, and you keep telling. That's what you're called to do. But, I mean, people have asked me when I've gone to some places where the country's under martial law, they say, aren't you afraid? And my initial response is, I'm really too stupid to be afraid. It never dawned on me to be afraid. But then again, I, I know who goes with me. I mean, I wouldn't be going to places where it would seemingly, you know, let's say under martial law, uh, if God, if I didn't feel God was sending me there. But the other thing is, I know that when I go and do these things and when you guys go and you do things and you walk into places and you share Jesus and it's not the most positive thing. Understand, you don't walk in there unarmed. You walk in there with God. You've got him on your side. Jesus says, I'm sending you. He says, uh, I'm commissioning you. Uh, I'm the shepherd who actually leads, and you're just one of the sheep. I will be with you wherever you go. And guess what? Wherever you go, you might go as a little lamb amongst a whole bunch of wolves. But guess what? The big shepherd goes first. He takes care of it. This is why we need to pray all the more. I mean, the everyday life of an everyday disciple... Is trusting God as we go and tell. And the question is, are you praying for laborers and are you going? Here's the third thing to consider from this chapter. Consider our message. What, what kind of message do we go while we're out there being gospelers? Well, verse nine says, heal the sick. Now somebody go, what? I'm going to heal the sick? Is that possible? Well, only if you believe parts of the rest of the Bible. I mean, I think about James. It says, Is anyone among you sick? What does it say? Well, there it says, send the elders. But I think you could be considered an elder. It says, and anoint them with oil and in the prayers of Jesus that these people will be healed. I think a lot of times we just kind of forget that we can pray for healing for people. Uh, I was, My eyes were open to that on the mission field. Where I saw people like instantaneously healed. I've been parts of where cast out demons from people, where people who have been well, one aged man who confessed to me that he'd killed many people as a, a soldier in the Russian army. You know, and that was the kind of guy he was, but how God got a hold of him and changed him. Somebody brought the gospel to him and it healed that particular person. He says, heal the sick. And then he says, just tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's pretty. Could you memorize that sermon? <laughs> Hello, friend. You know, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And when they go, what? Now you've got a little bit more to talk to them. You don't need a long sermon, just a one sentence summary of the message that the disciples preached. It was the same message that Jesus brought the kingdom of God is near. It's the same message that John the Baptist brought the kingdom of God is near. Uh, but in their case, of course, you're going to say, well, the kingdom of God was very near because after all, the king was there. <laughs> there was Jesus. He was healed, and his healing of sick people was proved. But your job today still is to preach. Mine is to preach the gospel and to call people to repentance. That's part of acknowledging our brokenness here. That's part of talking to anybody. Uh, you get to talk to people long enough and you find out why their lives are kind of miserable, you have an opportunity to call them to repentance. Now, you're not going to probably shove your <laughs> fist in their face and say, repent or die. I, I'm not advocating that. But you can bring... The grace of God and the love and the forgiveness into their lives. So we talk to people about sin. We talk about changing direction in their lives and we show them a kingdom that is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And for a lot of people, that's a totally different lifestyle. We talk about different lifestyles today. You bring that, that's a different lifestyle that changes that old lifestyle completely. So the question is, are you praying for more workers? Are you going and telling? And are you speaking to people about sin and the Savior? Well, there's a fourth part of this. What's your attitude to be during this? It says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love this verse. It's kind of interesting because sometimes we can go out and we say, oh, I have so many salvations. I will. No, you know, we learn from this is the disciples need to guard against being prideful in this. Uh, the disciples had just seen their first victory, and they were kind of like a little league baseball team that wins its very first game and then goes to Andy's Custard shouting, we're number one, we're number one. Um, you know, The tendency is to think that any success that we have is to be attributed to some great missionary strategy or some forceful sense of preaching or that you're preaching from the King James Bible and not from some other deviation of that, rather than giving the credit to the Creator who actually does the saving. And so Jesus tells them very point blank that everyday disciples are not rejoicing that demons are cast or that evil spirits are going to be subject to them. Rather, you should just plain, simple, rejoice in what God has done for them. Simply say, thank you, Jesus. See, rejoice. If you want to rejoice about anything, I'll give you something about rejoice for today. Very simple. Nancy, rejoice today that your name is written in heaven. David, rejoice in the work that God has done in your life. Artie, rejoice in the acts of God on your behalf. Anthony, rejoice that he receives the glory and not you. So, what is the everyday life of an everyday disciple? Pray, praying for more laborers, going and telling, speaking the good news. And rejoicing. There's your job description. Think you can handle that? Yeah, sometimes it's like, oh gosh, I have to do it. You get to do it. You really get to do it. Go and tell, speak the good news, and rejoice. And rejoice that your name is written in heaven. God bless you as you live out your everyday life as an everyday disciple.